Just a quick announcement before we jump in. I know that we launched as a brand new church plant in January, almost six months ago or so, somewhere around there. Can we just give it up for that? That's amazing, just to see what God has already been doing. Those who are watching online. I'm so excited. I believe this is just the beginning. And I really believe that we aren't just meant to gather in rows, but we're meant to gather in circles. And we get to know one another. We do life with one another. And so I just want to uh, show you on the screen, you see this icon. This is the icon of our logo here. And it's really intentional and important to show that one of the phrases we'll be saying over the next few months is the circle is always open. The circle is always open. This is really intentional to say we're going to be launching these things called circles It's our version of small groups here at One Church in August, and we couldn't be more excited. There's nine different couples that we are training to to get these things off the ground in August. But we're so excited because the circle is always open. Everybody say the circle. This is intentional because these are not meant to be holy huddles. These are not going to be little cliques and little smaller micro communities where we can kind of do our own thing. We are gathering in circles so that we can invite those that don't know Christ into our life, invite them into our home. And one of the best ways... To show someone the love of Jesus is just to open your home. The spirit of hospitality. And so we're going to be giving some more details coming up. Everybody say circles. More more circles. More updates on this is coming. For those who are watching online, can we just welcome them one time? I know some may be traveling. I can't wait to share more about that. My name is Andy. If this is your first time with us, I just want to say welcome. This is your first time in the room. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube later. And before I start the message, before I jump into the scriptures, I always want to pause with a word that just kind of invites you in. And I know maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe you're still figuring out what you believe about God. Maybe you've been a believer your whole life. But I just want you to know this phrase before we jump into anything this morning. You are loved. You are loved. And for some of the believers who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, you're like, okay, maybe that's a soft way to start. No, no, no. You are loved by your heavenly Father. Whether you're watching online, whether you're watching on YouTube, you have to know first we love because He first loved us. Amen? That we don't open up the Bible. We don't hear a message from any preacher to say, well, I have to work. I have to strive. I have to. No, 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 no. Before the beginning of time, you are loved. Before the beginning of time, says he adopted us to be sons and daughters into the kingdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. You have to know the character of God, that you are already loved before you even spoke a word, before we even opened up the scriptures. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you that you reign, that you are the most high. The name of Jesus is the, the highest, the most greatest, most powerful, the only name that truly saves, the name of Jesus. We lift your name high in this place, Lord, and I thank you for your love, Lord. I thank you that there's nothing that we could do to earn it. There's nothing that we could do or say. But Lord, you love us simply by the grace of the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much for the cross this morning. Lord, I pray over the next few moments that you would hide me behind the cross, that my words would be inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this would not be Andy up here, but this would be your Spirit speaking through me this morning so that everyone under the sound of my voice, whether they're in the room watching on YouTube later, whether they're watching online, Lord, that we would be transformed by the living God, the one and only true God, Jesus Christ. And we're going to give you the glory in advance. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen Amen and amen. Hey, we're in a series called Kingdom Come. Everybody say Kingdom. No matter where you're at, whether this is your first time to church or you've been 
come in regularly, consistently, I think we can all agree on this. There is a lot of tension in our country right now. Even just saying the word tension. You already feel it. You already felt it on your way in. You already felt it on Facebook this week. You already saw it on Fox and CNN. Whatever you're watching, listening to, you feel, everybody say the tension. You feel it. I don't even have to go into it super in detail. You already know it's there. We feel it. The divide racially, the divide politically with what's happening with Roe versus Wade and all this stuff. But the kingdom of God is always present, even in the darkest, even in the most divisive times. The Lord does not turn a blind eye to this stuff, but he walks right in. And everything changes when Jesus enters the room, right? Jesus walks into those places. And so we're, we're pausing for four or five weeks to say, what does it look like, first off, to know that the kingdom of God does not fit in our political party, Okay. That we're not here to promote the right or the left, Democrat or Republican, or this movement or that movement, but the kingdom of God is not of this world. And the kingdom of God cannot be boxed in. It cannot be articulated into this point, that point. But the kingdom of God is something that's so foreign to the world. And so we're pausing to say, what does it look like in the midst of the tension for the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven? Amen? To unpack it a different way, I think so many are fighting for their own version of this. Truth, identity, reality, and morality. Any single argument you see on Facebook, CNN, whatever you're watching, Instagram stories, all the conspiracy theories, we're fighting over truth, identity, reality, morality, truth. I mean, at this point, truth is just subject to what everyone, anyone believes. Reality is just what's true up here, right? Your version of reality, everybody has to accept, everybody has to get behind. Your version of morality or whatever, identity, you name it. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. Oh, we need to remember. Not just an earthly one. We are in a spiritual battle. But John 18, 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is the foundation of everything that we're going to be talking about over the next few moments. How many of you this morning are grateful to know that Jesus is going to come back again soon and he's going to establish a kingdom that can never be shaken, that can never be overthrown, that can never be taken away. He will wipe every tear. He will make every wrong right. He will bring justice. Jesus will return again. Amen. And so what do we do in between now and then? And how does the kingdom come in a way that's Not yet, but already, already not yet. I mean, we see manifestations of it, but it's not fully taken reign yet. How do we manage the tension? But last week we talked about something that's so, so important. I'll pause here for a moment. That King Jesus reigns with, everybody say grace. Grace. Everybody say truth. truth. So let's pause here that there is a generational pendulum swing. I think from generation to generation. Or you walk into a church or you're talking to someone or a a leader. And sometimes maybe in my grandparents' day, you might walk in somewhere and you might feel like, it's all truth. Repent. You better believe this or you're going to be hit with a lightning bolt from heaven. You better get your act together. All truth but no grace. And then I think the pendulum swings all the way over here and it's all grace but no truth. You do whatever you want. You, You believe whatever you want. You do you as long as we're not rocking the boat. Are you with me? But But neither are right. See, Jesus comes full, John 1, 14. Jesus comes full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace. Everybody say truth. Perfectly, equally, effortlessly, both grace and truth. And we can't have one without the other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't have one without the other. 
But this is not what our world believes. And so this is the message this morning that I have for you. Letting go and taking off. What does it mean to let go of the offenses, of the bitterness, of the places that people have wronged us, hurt us? How do we let go of these things and then take off in our walk with the Lord? Letting go and taking off. I want to take last week's sermon. If you didn't if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. It'll help set up what we're sharing this week. But week number two, I just felt this before we even read the, the foundational text for this morning. I felt like the Lord was just speaking into my heart this morning, last night, that this will be a place of freedom this morning. That, that things that have been holding you back for maybe years, maybe even decades, maybe your entire life going back to your childhood, that somebody's going to get set free this morning. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, everybody say, freedom. freedom. So when the Spirit of the Lord in, comes into our life and enters into a room and we interact, we encounter the living God, no one should ever stay the same. Amen? And so what does it mean to actually walk in freedom? What does it mean to let go and to take off? So here's the foundational text this morning, Luke chapter 6. Jesus takes everything a step further. He sets, sets such a high And he says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Uh Uh-oh, I could just stop there. And and it's like, wait, what? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who cut you off in traffic this morning. (laughs) Bless those who curse you. I remember going, this is just a side note, I remember going to a hockey game recently. Anybody ever been to a hockey game? Um, just a FYI, this is an NHL game. I wouldn't bring anyone probably less than 18 there maybe, but um, I had a lot of people cursing me at a hockey game. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In all seriousness, what is the world teaching about this right now? This is completely foreign to everything that the cancel culture speaks Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This is completely countercultural, upside down kingdom of God. Verse 31, do to others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners Love those who love them. And if you do good to those that do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting it to be repaid in full. Verse 35. But love your enemies. Everybody say love. Love Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you'll be children of the Most High because He, catch this, He is kind. The Father in heaven is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Let that sink in. Verse 36, be merciful then, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord for today. So the first point I want to jump in right away is this. Everybody say love. Love. Everybody say heartbeat. Love is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. So last week we talked about how King Jesus reigns with grace and truth. But the heartbeat, the motivation, the foundation for everything from the kingdom of God comes from a place of love. For God so loved the world. 
that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Love is, everybody say, the heartbeat. It's the heartbeat. So let's go back to Scripture. 1 Corinthians, and I just want to warn you today, we're going to be going a lot deeper into more specific Scriptures today. This is super important. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have, everybody say, love. If I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. I think a lot of the Facebook posts that I see today are Christians making statements without love. And we look like resounding gongs and clanging symbols. We don't look any different than the rest of the world. Defending our political party, defending the left, defending the right, because we have to say something, right? But we don't have love. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries, so you could be the most brilliant, the most smartest, the, the most rich person in the world, but if you don't have love, then we are nothing. Paul says, verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love in the world's eyes. You know, I was thinking about this, and I won't get it exactly right when I share a sermon. I don't try to act like I have it all together. I don't try to act like I have it all figured out. I am in the same boat with you. Are you with me? I'm trying to figure this out, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, as a believer for such a time as this, and I'm going to speak to non-believers and unbelievers. But to the believers for a moment, how do we stand in the tension of all this with grace and truth? With love is the heartbeat of everything that we're doing, right? How do we do that? Because we're called to engage with culture. We can't turn a blind eye. We can't act like everything is all good and I'm just going to worship in here. The world is going crazy, you guys. But we're given a peace and a sound mind in the midst of all this. So what do we do? Love in the world's eyes. I wrote a few phrases down. I think I hear a lot of people say this, and I'm guilty of saying this in the past. As long as I get mine, I'm good. This is love in the world's eyes. I'll do it as long as it, as it feels good for me. As long as it's good for me. Or here's the question that most people are asking. What do I get out of this? When you think about the life of Jesus, do you think Jesus was asking that question when he sacrificed himself on the cross? What do I get out of this? Here's another phrase that just shows you kind of where we're at. I thought this was really interesting. I saw this reposted on Instagram. We live in a society that permits everything but forgives nothing. We live in a society that says do whatever you want, whatever feels good, sounds good, you be you, you do exactly who you think you are. But we talked about last week that the heart is deceitful above all things. That when we follow our heart, when we follow what Disney tells us, you do you. You know, we look at our little kids at five years old. You do whatever you want. You can become whoever you want. Guess what? That is not what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is telling them, surrender to me and I will give you the desires of your heart. Surrender to me and I will give you the plan for your life, plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Are you with me this morning? We have to know what the word of God says in all of this or we're just going to be lost. But we live in a society that permits everything. I thought it was so well said, but forgives nothing. The cancel culture. See, the cancel culture is a lot different than kingdom culture, right? Cancel culture says the moment you have a disagreement with some with someone about something, you cut them out of your life. You don't listen to them anymore. You don't have conversations with them anymore. In the kingdom, everybody say the kingdom. In kingdom culture, you can sit and have lunch with someone that thinks differently than you about your political stance. 
And you can come to unity with them about the things that Scripture says, these are the most important things that we have to unify. This is kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is much different than cancel culture. But even as Christians, we fall into this. I want to take this a step further, and I felt like the Spirit put this in my mind last night. We are not called to tolerate people, but to love people. See, the the world says, well, first off, if you hate someone, that's all good. Just cancel them. But, okay, you don't hate them, then you can just tolerate them. That's not what Scripture commands. That's not what Scripture is asking us. Scripture is saying, love your enemies. Bless those who misunderstand you. Bless those who persecute you. Give the shirt off your back for someone that just wronged you. This is kingdom culture. We're not just out here trying to tolerate people. We are called to love people. To serve them as Jesus would. To let our actions speak louder than our words. Come on. Is anyone with me this morning? That it says in scripture, this isn't on the slide, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And we've boiled down our Christianity to just a Facebook post. Well, this is just where I stand. This is my religion. This is what I like. But actions speak much louder than words. First John says, let us love not with just words, but with actions. Are you with me? So how do we do this? How do we not just tolerate people, but to love people? First off, you know, we talked about this last week again. You'll never be able to see someone the way Jesus does unless you are born again. First, if we're going to love people well, we have to see them through our Savior's eyes. Are you with me? We can't see them through our earthly eyes because we are flawed, broken humans that still have prejudice, that still have judgment, that still have all these insecurity issues. But when we are born again, everybody say born again, and you're filled with the Spirit, then all of a sudden you start to see people like Jesus does and you remember that when Jesus looked out to the world with all of this happening, born in the middle of all of this division between Rome and the Pharisees, it says that Jesus would look upon the flock and he would have compassion. That his heart broke for the world. We can't love people first unless we have eyes like Jesus, a heart like Jesus. Are you with me this morning? So this is where we're starting. This is the first step. Another way to say it would be this. Love is not a business deal. It's laying down your life. This is what real love is. Love is not friends with benefits. Love is not do whatever you think sounds good. The newest, greatest move. Love is laying down your life for one's friends. I was thinking about this. You know, we believe at one church unashamed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. Can I get an amen? This is the the foundation of our faith built on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're unashamed about it. And I get so fired up about it, you guys. Because right now, people are craving pure truth. Not this like half in, half out stuff. Well, I'm kind of a, a Christian, but I'm not really. People need the, the, the pure word of God. They're searching for truth for such a time as this. And I look around and I know like there's so many different like doom and gloom kind of uh, outlooks on life of what's happening. But I think this is an amazing opportunity to rise up and say, we know the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other religion or way that leads to heaven. Amen, right? Okay, so knowing that, we believe that. But even as I was thinking about the other religions of our day, think about what the teaching is. The teaching is you have to do as much as you can, earn as much as you can, work and strive as much as you can, then for this God that might be in the distant universe somewhere to maybe like you, maybe let, let you in, maybe give you like a paradise. Are you with me? 
Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, you name it. But Christianity is so different because, think about this, the climax of the story of Christianity is the humiliation of its own God. Think about that. Like the climax of the story is God in the flesh being pinned to two pieces of wood, naked, humiliated in front of a crowd. We know that God is fully man, fully God. But the epicenter of our belief comes down to a God that was not afraid to get down and to say, I'm going to lay down my life. This is the climax of everything that we believe. Love is not, everybody say, a business deal. It's laying down your life. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Some of you like start from the beginning of the sentence. You caught that? Some of you are like, did he catch that? I did catch that. Right, awkward moment. So Luke 6, we're family here. Let's just, let's just keep rolling. Luke 6, coming back to the scripture. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Think about the echo chamber that we live in right now in our society. On your Facebook and Instagram, you can get exactly what you want to hear every single day. And the algorithms will favor what you believe politically, racially, socially, socioeconomically. But Jesus says, if we love those that just love us, if we lend to those that lend to us, we're just like the world. We're just like everyone else. So I want to unpack it this way. The gospel is loving others. The gospel in action is loving others without expecting anything in return. I want to move to the next main point, and I know this is a little bit more like on the serious. No, are we all good this morning? Everybody just take a deep breath. How do we engage in this stuff? Point number two is this, maybe a lighthearted note. Triggered leads to bitter. How many of you have heard someone say recently, I'm triggered by someone's post? Triggered leads to bitter. I know this is going to stick in your mind, right? You're going to remember this next time someone cuts you off in traffic. But to take this a step further, I really believe this. God intentionally puts difficult people in our path to love. I really believe that. I really do believe that. A lot of you are like, I might be sitting next to them right now. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I won't make you answer that question. But in all reality, we're all difficult to love in some ways. But, but you know what I mean when I say that, that sometimes we blame things on Satan that were actually from the Lord. And we say, God, how could I be working with this person? You've got to give me someone that thinks more like me, that talks like me. And the Lord, I think he has a sense of humor that he sent them exactly to that job so that you could become more like Christ. He intentionally puts people in our life. I totally believe that. Not to, heart, not to hurt us, not to abuse us, not to distort anything, but he lets us get into the life of someone else so that we can become more like him, that we can be sharpened more into the image of Christ. All right, now this is going to be a funny exercise, and, and you might laugh, but I'm, I'm totally serious with this. Think about this. You don't have to close your eyes. You can just stay right where you're at. Think about the person right now. You're probably already thinking of them. That gets on your nerves the most. Okay? Don't, don't answer that. <laughs> I'm not going to be responsible for your answer, okay? But the person, or maybe it's a group of people that drive you crazy. I don't know what that is. But you got that person in your mind. We're, we're human. Let's just be real, right? Let me tell you this. Jesus loves that person more than you could ever dream of or imagine. Jesus died for that person that you're thinking about right now. Jesus laid his life down 
for that group of people that you're thinking about right now. Is anybody with me? This has to set in. And I, I thought about this in my own life with people that I've been frustrated with before, people I've had conflicts with. And you, when you pause and you take a moment to get real practical and you realize the person's face that's in your mind that you already know that you're thinking about right now, that Jesus got on a cross for them, that he loves them so much, that he wants to literally, with everything inside of him, wants them to know how much their heavenly father loves them. Does that not change something in your heart for a moment? This is the compassion of Christ. But we get triggered by social media at home, at work, family gatherings, and I think offense, everybody say offense. I know we've talked about this before, but this is just the culture that we're living in. How do we battle through these things? This is how Satan gets a lot of us tripped up. Offense either gets shoved down, everybody say shoved down, or thrown back. And both are wrong. So Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says this, make every effort, again, I'm just giving you scripture. I'm just giving you what scripture has to say about these things. Make every effort to live in peace. Everybody say peace. We need to be peacemakers, bridge builders, people that are bringing unity with everyone and, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many I was thinking about this phrase, being triggered. I think a lot of us, and I know I've been there myself, we go from trigger to trigger to trigger to trigger all day long. And I think this phrase came to my mind. Sometimes the enemy's main goal is to get a reaction out of you. Sometimes when, when Satan knows that he can't get you to go do something crazy, like kill someone or have an affair or do something wild, he just wants to get a reaction out of you. Have you ever thought about that? And oftentimes our reaction, everybody say reaction. Our reaction is then a distraction to our life, to the main vision of what God has called us. We go from trigger to trigger instead of going from glory to glory. Are you with me? But there's a huge difference between reacting and responding. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I felt prompted to come back to this because everybody say reacting. Reacting is much different than responding. You see Jesus walk into these places, these difficult moments where there's tension, there's division, and he doesn't react, he responds. And with a lot of stuff that's going on in our world as believers, I know I'm talking to believers a lot this morning. If you don't believe, just hang with me for a second. I think a lot of times believers spend most of their time reacting. When really Jesus calls us to spend so much time in prayer. Are you with me? Hang with me for a second. To spend so much time in prayer in the secret place where no one else can see you so that when you walk into these moments, you were called to engage with what's happening. You walk in already prayed up, led by the Holy Spirit. So you're not going to respond out of your flesh, but you're going to respond out of the fruits of the Spirit, right? To respond, not to, everybody say react. Another way to say it is this. You can't carry offense and a cross at the same time. And I know I've said this multiple times, but this is the day and age that we live in. You can't carry an offense and a cross at the same time. I want to skip to the next main idea, though. As we're moving forward, number three is this. Are you with me this morning? I know this is like going deep. I know this is more like in-depth into what Scripture says. But when I pray about this, you guys, I want you to know this over and over when I pray about what to share in a message, I don't want to just think about what sounds 
popular or, oh, oh, that's in right now. I want to hear from heaven and share that with you. I want to hear what God has to say for this specific group at this specific time. And this is the word that he put on my heart. Number three is this. Bitterness is bondage. Everybody say bitterness. bitterness. You might think this is funny as I was praying through this sermon this week and asking the Lord, Father, what do you want to share with your people today, whether they're watching the line or in the room? And I got this picture. You might think this is funny or crazy. I got this picture of, have you ever like driven past like, I know this is going to get graphic for a second. You, you like drive past like dead carcass on the side of the road before anybody? Okay. I see someone laughing back there. Chris, don't be laughing at me. But I really think, think about the word bitterness for a second. Like, I, I know you already know what that means when I say that word, but it has bitter in the actual word itself. That bitterness actually tastes terrible. So what does this look like? And I got this image in my mind of, you know, like when a vulture and a crow comes on like the side of the street and you're like, what is going on? Are you, are you with me, right? This phrase God downloaded into my heart uh, probably about a year ago when I was fighting offense and I was fighting bitterness. Can I just be real with you? You want to hang on to things that people have said to you, done to you, right? And I was right there. And this is the phrase that God gave me. I want to share it with you. Be the eagle, not the crow. Be the eagle, not the crow. Because what a crow does, and what a raven, whatever you, you want to picture, a vulture, whatever in your mind, they pick at things that are already dead. They pick at things that, that don't have any life anymore. And I was thinking about this in my own life. How many times my head is just down, thinking about all the things that I've gone through, all the difficulties and things people have said. You almost get into this like, woe is me, victim mindset, right? Are you with me? Like you see something on Facebook and then someone said something to you at work and then you go home and you're like, man, my life is just, oh my gosh, people are just coming at me, right? But what the enemy wants is for you to stay the crow. He doesn't want you to be the eagle because he wants you to fix your mind on little things and obsess about them and meditate on them and pick at them and ruminate on them and you get so frustrated when the Lord says, lift your head, let go and take off. Are you with me? This is the phrase that God put in my heart. And, and to be really real, you know, uh, I remember, you know, going back to high school. I remember, you know, high school basketball, we had kind of a crazy experience. I won't go into all the details. And I remember even like years and years after this happened, like so 2014 is when I graduated. Some of you are doing the math of how old I am right now. Okay, let's keep moving on. And I remember like even like three or four years later, five years later, you know, I get together with the same guys that I play basketball with and we're talking about the same thing that happened to us three, four, five, six years ago. Why are we talking about the same thing for years? Are you with me? What does that mean for you? What is the thing that you are talking about for so long that you are just the crow, you are the vulture, you are hanging on to something that's already dead, that's already gone? And I was thinking about this Phrase, to take it a step further, bitterness gets you stuck in the past. That's what happens. Bitterness is sticky. It gets you stuck in the past. It gets you meditating, obsessing over things that the kingdom of God doesn't want you to fixate on. But Isaiah says this to encourage you the opposite way. Forget the former things. Everybody say forget. Forget Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And I felt this for this morning. See, I'm doing, verse 19, I'm doing a new thing. The Lord says, to Israel and Isaiah. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in 
the wasteland. But I wrote in my notes like this, you can't pursue what's next if you're stuck in the past. And I think so many times the Lord wants to do a new thing in our life, but we're holding on to bitterness, a grudge, and an offense that happened to us, and we can't move forward. See, this takes it even a step further in Scripture. Matthew says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, see, we come to church with bitterness and offense and grudges in our heart. We lift our hands and we worship. It says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're coming into worship, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, or you are in some sort of grudge situation, leave your gift there, first go and be reconciled, and then come back and worship. This is how serious scripture talks about unity and reconciliation. And I thought about it this way. Your worship is incomplete if you are still holding a grudge this morning. It's incomplete. Because there's still something that you're holding on to. Maybe someone said something. And let me just make this really abundantly clear, and I feel this for right now, is that there is a huge difference in how we do forgiveness and reconciliation in different situations, right? So someone cut you off in traffic. Are you supposed to chase them down with like 80 miles an hour and then like reconcile? Are you with me, right? Like we start to ask these questions or maybe something happened with our boss, but we're not good friends with them. Or maybe someone really close to you hurt you and wounded you so deep, right? Forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is for every situation, but the way we do reconciliation differs. Are you with me? I just think that needs to be said. So last two points, and I know this is, this is a different sermon. This is less of a salvation message. This is more of how do we work out our salvation, right? I know it's a little bit different, a little bit heavier, but number four is this. Everybody say gratitude. Gratitude leads to a grace-filled life. I should have put that phrase on there. A grace-filled life. So I thought of this phrase that came to my mind as I was looking at Scripture. Pride, everybody say pride. Pride grows when you forget where you came from. And I think this happens to us as believers often is we get saved, we get born again, and all of the addictions, all of the relationship struggles, and all of the lusts, and all the stuff that we were struggling with even weeks before that, we, we somehow forget about in the moment, and we, we think that we've kind of arrived, right? Man, I used to do that stuff. And then we kind of forget about it, and then we cast judgment onto other people, right? This is what we do as believers often, unfortunately. But I think of Paul, and I've shared this before, but I come back to the story of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy. He says this, and you got to know, Paul was a Christian terrorist at one point. Paul would drag people out, throw them into prison. He approved of the, the, the murder of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Like, Paul was the crazy guy that you would never think would come to church, then ends up writing a ton of the New Testament. Are you with me? And let me just say this. Sometimes we count out the people that God has such a calling on their life. There's people that you work with. I just feel this right now. There's people that you go to church with, maybe even here. Maybe you have friends in a small group that you are part of. We counted them out, and God has a calling on their life, that he has brought you into their life to speak a word of identity to help them. Are you with me? But we count people out. And a lot of people counted Paul out. But he ends up getting saved knocked literally off his donkey, and he says this later on, even though I was once a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown, everybody say mercy. mercy. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul is remembering where he came from. He's not dwelling on his sin, right? He's not obsessing about it. He's not saying, woe is me. You know, I made all these terrible mistakes because sometimes 
You know, humility, sometimes pride and arrogance can be boasting about your own, like, uh, struggles. You kind of put yourself in the spotlight, you know, like, oh, you, I'm this woe is me kind of person. That's not what Paul's doing. He's remembering where he came from. I was shown mercy. I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He goes on to say in verse 14, the grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul was in touch with how messed up he truly was. Verse 16, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that Christ Jesus might display his immense, everybody say patience, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I think this is what humility is at the end of the day. There's so many different ways to unpack it, but humility is this, embracing that you don't deserve and can't take credit for any of the blessings in your life. There's nothing that you could have done to earn it. There's nothing that you could have done to manipulate it. There's the grace of God. James says that every good and perfect gift in your life comes from Him. The grace and the mercy of the Lord poured out on us. So so what is this main point saying? It's saying this, a grateful heart is a grace-filled heart. Let's tie this all together for a second. When you pause and you remember, like literally just close your eyes right now. Close your eyes and remember, if you were a believer this morning, all the things that God has delivered you from. All of the addictions, all of the setbacks, all of the moments where maybe someone persecuted you, maybe all the moments where you had a disagreement or conflict, remember how good God has been to you. Okay, now open up your eyes. It is so much easier to give grace to someone when you are grateful. So we were asking that question. Last week we talked about grace and truth. How do we give grace to people when we're struggling to give grace? Remember how thankful you are, the patience that God had with you. You were addicted to this. You were enslaved with that. You didn't have any reason to be where you're at right now, but the mercy of God was poured out on you. When you remember that, you can give grace to someone else. Are you with me? So Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with one another. Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against you, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And now this is where it gets really deep and we'll be done in just a moment, I promise. I remember preaching at an event in Muncie. It was a church actually. And, and I gave this salvation call and, and I don't remember who raised their hands or anything like that. You know, sometimes that stuff slips my mind, but But I remember getting this text or this call from the pastor's wife of that church. And she said, Andy, she said, when uh, we took communion that day and you gave the salvation call, there was a lady who actually took communion for the first time in 10 years that morning. But she felt so guilty for so long. She didn't feel worthy to come to the table. And I was thinking about this, and and as I was meditating on just what the Lord wanted to share this morning, I kind of got this picture in my mind of even those who would be here this morning watching online, that some of us are under this yoke of guilt and condemnation for things that we have even done. And this phrase came to my mind out of that, you can't forgive others if you haven't first forgiven yourself, and you can't give grace to others if you haven't received grace to yourself. See, the same yoke of slavery that we put on others, we have taken on ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? The scripture that says, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Are you following me this morning? 
we put the same yoke on other people. The most judgmental people, the most critical people are the most critical of themselves. Think about that. A lot of times we project our own judgment onto others that we have projected onto ourselves. But when you realize, you take a step back. No, no, no. I am saved not by works, but by grace through faith. And I'm thankful that the mercy of God, you're retracing your steps, had so much grace on me. I didn't deserve to have this job. I didn't deserve to have this family. I didn't deserve to be living where I'm at. But the mercy of God has been so good to me. He has forgiven me. I remember, oh my gosh, why am I casting judgment to people when I was in the same place yesterday? And this is what we do as believers. I I said this last week. We judge others for sinning differently than us. Let me say that again. We judge others for sinning differently than us. And this is exactly what the Pharisees did. So here's the last main point. Number five is this, and we'll be done. Last main point. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet this morning? I know it's heavy, but I want to empower you and equip you with what the scriptures say about this. Number five is this. Everybody say, forgiveness. Forgiveness. It is our witness. For such a time as this, and I feel this prophetically, our forgiveness as believers will be a witness in this world today, here on earth as it is in heaven. You want to know how the church can look completely countercultural than a world that is cancel culture? Forgiveness. In a world that permits everything but forgives nothing? Forgiveness. So forgiveness is our witness. So Peter, he asked Jesus, don't you love Peter? He's always like the guy, like playing devil's advocate. Okay, Jesus, well, how many times should I forgive my brother and sister? Like, should I just forgive them a few times, up to seven times? I mean, I'd be cool with seven times. You know, if it's eight, I'm probably not in anymore, right? (laughs) Verse 22, Jesus tells you, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And he's obviously using this in some rhetorical way to say that the forgiveness would be endless. And so here's where I want to get really practical. I know we we asked that question, Andy. How do I forgive someone that's different than just someone that cut me off in traffic or said something that I could kind of brush off my shoulder? But what about someone that manipulated and abused me for years of my life? The question that I think a lot of us ask is, do I have to still be best friends with that person? Do I still have to be like really close, tight-knit with those people? And here's the phrase that I had to work through through my own life. Unity and boundaries. Everybody say unity. Everybody say boundaries. A lot of us want unity so bad, but we have no boundaries in our life that we want to yoke ourselves to people that are not good for us. We want to yoke ourselves in relationships of people that are not following Christ because we feel bad for them. Can we just be real, right? But, but unity does not mean that you have to be best friends with this person. Reconciliation doesn't mean that they have to be your accountability partner. Are you with me? But we're all called to forgiveness. And we're all called to reconciliation. But scripture also commands us to guard your heart. Everything that comes flows from the heart. So how do we, everybody say guard your heart. And how do we find unity? I don't know about you, but I've got lost in that tension before, right? 
But I think we need the discernment, the moment by moment guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why prayer is so important so that we can fast and pray and say, God, do you want me to stay in this relationship? Do you want me to still be as close with that family member? They're always spewing insecurities at me. Maybe I'll go to Thanksgiving still, right? But maybe not like golf every week. Are you with me? Like, let's just get really real. But scripture, 1 Corinthians says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Verse 5. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And this is where I want to land. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrong. See, imagine if God was this way with you. Like imagine if God forgave you, which he does. It says that when we come to the Lord and we repent and we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to cleanse us. Are you with me? to set us free, to redeem our lives, to redeem our way back to Christ. Yes and amen. But imagine if God still kept a record of wrongs to you. But he doesn't do this. It says that God forgives and, everybody say, forgets. He casts your sin as far as the east to the west. He forgives and forgets. But how many times do we want to forgive someone and hold the record of wrongs still? Oh, I had lunch with them, you know. And I'm probably guilty of this in my life. If I'm just being real, like you have this moment of forgiveness. Hey, I know it kind of hurt my feelings. But then you keep bringing it up over and over and over. Can I tell you, that's what the enemy does. The enemy is the accuser. The enemy is the one that brings condemnation. The enemy is the one that brings up the sin and the condemnation in your life that you were already forgiven for 10 years ago. And maybe there's someone in this room that needs to just be freed from the own yoke of slavery that's on your shoulders this morning. But Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest for your souls. See, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. But I was thinking about the life of Jesus. And this is where I want to share if there's a non-believer in the room this morning or someone that's still figuring out what they believe about Jesus. Jesus even died for those who hated him, who mocked him and crucified him. And I was thinking about this story and I can't remember exactly where it was in the world, but I remember reading this story one time of a group of people, I think it was in the 1040 window. And one of these terrorist groups came and they actually killed a large portion of this this tribe's family, so to speak. And imagine like not only someone cutting you off and traffic, but to just be really real, literally someone taking your own family member's life, okay? Can we just be real? And I remember reading this story, this stuck with me forever, that this group of people, that they were so in love with Jesus, that they were so planted in the house of the Lord, that they remembered all the things that God forgave them from, that even when someone took their family member's life, they came to this terrorist group and they forgave them to their face. And the leader of this terrorist group gets saved and starts leading other people to Jesus. And I can't remember where this story is even from, but I just felt prompted to share that with you. Think about maybe the worst persecution you faced in your life. Does it compare to that? Maybe it does. Maybe you've lost a family member because of something as tragic as that. But what I love about Jesus, to bring it full circle, is Jesus never asks us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. Think about that. The forgiveness, the reconciliation, the compassion that he is calling us to this morning, he already demonstrated for us. 
thousands of years ago when he gave his life on the cross for you and I. And he had your name in mind. And he thought of you with crown of thorns on his head, with hands pierced to two pieces of wood, with people mocking him, people shouting at him, crucify him, people whipping him, people slapping him, people saying that you're not the son of God, mocking him. On that cross, he thought of you and I, and he also thought of the same person that you came in here with a grudge against. And he poured out his life for you. And he loves you so much. He has a plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you. He made a way for you to be saved again. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Lord, we think of that moment on the cross where you said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Lord, I thank you for the grace and the mercy that's been poured out on us. And I thank you for the salvation message that's only through the cross, Lord. That in this cancel culture, that in this time of this echo chamber that we want to live in, God, you call us to a completely countercultural life. You call us to be men and women who are peacemakers, to show forgiveness, that we would be set apart, Father, for such a time as this. But if there's anyone in the room that has not made a decision or wants to make a decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, to say, I want that same heartbeat to live in my heart today. I want to know that I'm saved and I want to give and surrender my life to Christ this morning. Would you just lift a hand this morning if that's you? I see a hand. Is there anyone else this morning that wants to give their whole life to Christ this morning? If there's anyone watching online or YouTube later, or even now in this moment, if you want to give your life to Christ, just pray this prayer silently in your heart with me, the prayer of salvation. This is you praying to God, not to me, not to the person to your left or your right, but just to God. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned against you. There's nothing I could do to earn it. There's nothing I could do to strive. And so I repent right now of all of my sin, of all of my wickedness. Lord, would you forgive me? But thank you, Lord, that your blood is sufficient for me, that your grace is sufficient for me. I receive the good news, the message of the gospel, that you love me, that you died for me, that you rose again for me. I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit right now in this moment, and I want to live for you all the days of my life telling everyone of the good news of Jesus. Pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said amen and amen. Can we give him a shout of praise of what he's doing this morning? Jesus, we honor you. We magnify you. And I know that this morning is a little bit of a different, a different heaviness maybe, but for such a time as this, forgiveness is our witness. Can I get an amen? Forgiveness is our witness. May we be like Christ that laid his life down for his friends and even his enemies for such a time as this. Let's worship one more time.